Oh, a finish from Lita here to the box. Lotta, will he go for goal? Goes for goal. Here it is! Welcome to the Bees Analytica podcast. Hello and welcome to the 15th episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the one and only Sam Saunders this week for an exclusive interview here on the podcast. We'll be chatting a bit through his career, his transition into coaching and the BT model here at Brentford. Hi Sam, good morning and thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning. We'll start off then with his initial career, obviously, in, through the academy system at both Charlton and Fulham, and then later, obviously, Welling. What sort of was it like back in the day? We've we've heard from Charlie McDonald before about it was a lot different to nowadays. What's your sort of experience with it? Yeah, obviously, as a as a young lad, ten years old, you need to ask to go to Charlton. Actually, I actually went on a soccer school about nine, ten years old, like a local uh, at the soccer school when they were in half terms and stuff like that. And I, I was doing it and without even realising or paying much attention to it, they was videoing me. And obviously back then, videos at the side of a pitch and cameras and that was was very rare. Um, and then like a few, like at the end of the tour, like the tour obviously won the play after the week and all that kind of stuff and uh, then they tried and then it was like we want to sign you at a nine ten year old and it was all a bit surreal to me really I just wanted to play football I didn't really care about playing for a professional club and so forth but it was just I spoke to my dad and he was like this all it's going to mean is you're just going to do more training which for me that's all I wanted to do anyway so yeah sign for Cholton um the Sparrows Lane when I was 10 27 years ago now which is crazy uh, and yeah, just was there for five years. We was a, we had a really good age group. Uh, Jermaine Defoe was in my in my age group. Um, he went on to do really well, as you know, uh, and a few others that went on to have a career. Um, but yeah, we we was we were very competitive at that age group. And about fifteen years old, with no real signs, to be honest, that I got released, um, which was which was obviously very difficult to, to take and the rejection at any age is never good. And so particularly when that's all you ever wanted to be was a footballer and at 15 before you went from leaving school to, because I was, I was young, I was a young 15 year old. I was at August 29th. So like say two days into that year. So that and the fact that I was physically undeveloped uh, and obviously a, a late developer as well, it was a big, obviously a big cocktail of reasons why I wasn't maybe what they felt that like I wasn't quite ready but it was a, it was a short-sighted call in my opinion uh, they, they chose lads that were potentially a year older than me and a year or two older than me when it comes to development and puberty and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it so yeah they was probably stronger than me that right at that moment and maybe slightly quicker or uh, but it was one of the ones where it, those the boys had done their growing. Some of them had we had full beards and they were shaving and stuff like that. And it was just like, it was a very short sighted call. Mm. What I felt it wasn't down to a football ability. And I think at the time as well, we look back now and I wish I was I wish I was going up through the academies when we had the Man Cities and the Pep Guardiola's, the Barcelona's and stuff because those are the pinnacles and that's how people wanted to play. Uh, you, you didn't have to be six foot tall. You didn't have to be. Um, 
Germany didn't have to. Yeah, it no, wasn't purely so. on size. Uh, I, I when when this was happening, it was going through the invincible era. So it was the the Vieiras and the Petits in the centre of the midfield, really big physical guys, and that's what everyone thought that the model had to be. And yeah, the, the, don't get me wrong, the Premiership is full of athletically big big players, but the, the technical players, particularly at that age, what I see got overlooked, and that was a shame because that was where I was particularly strong at. And obviously, yeah, I wasn't ever going to be a six foot two, box to box in nine seconds player, but I had technical attributes that I felt that could have been nurtured in, in, in a better manner. Um, so yeah, anyway, so to, to go from that, I got uh, the, got released, and they said, "Oh, good, good news. Uh, we've got some good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not signing. Good news is that Fulham want to take you on trial. We, you played against them the other week, and I was impressed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay." Which was wasn't ideal because I was a South London lad going to Fulham over in West London was a bit of a bit, bit of a slap for my dad and it was uh, I, I turned down QPR when I was younger QPR bending over backwards to try and sign me and I didn't want to go over there because it was just too far. Yeah. What sort what sort of um, yeah. divisions were they in at the time? The Charlton's the Premiership side at the time to yeah, Fulham. No, there was both. There was both in the Prem. Okay. Both. There was both in the Prem. Um, I think Fulham had just gone into the Premier League. Um, the money had just gone in there and stuff. So there was there was both in the Premier League. Um, at Fulham, so I went over to Fulham and first first training session. I got there and I was there was sixty kids at this training session. And I was thinking, what is going on here? Like they said, they want me on trial, but you're going to do well to even know my name. Never mind seeing me play with all these kids. And week on week, it went down less and less and less. And it was it was a real like week on week, it got down to about fifteen lads, and we got back down to about ten. And I was, I was, I was during that, I was playing for them, seemed to be scoring and doing well, and I was, I was enjoying it. I was, I was like, actually, I could, I could see myself playing here. Uh, got to the stage where, at that time, in, in youth development football, you could only sign eighteen players over the three-year span. Okay. And the first, the first year of this span, I was in the second-year bracket. The first year, they'd signed twelve in the first, the first lot. So it only left them with six spaces for the next two years, um, which they didn't tell me prior. And they said that they had already promised three lads a deal. So it's one of the ones where they've called me in for a trial when realistically I was never, ever going to get anything. But they said, so there's a release trial was at Bisham Abbey or was it Lee Shaw, one of the two, I can't remember now. Go and do well there and you'll, you'll force our hand. We'll have to sign you. Hey, we lost four or three, I scored three. Yeah, they're going to sign me now. It's, it's, just, it's just one of the things that's just going to happen. And it's expecting, like, you, you, lots of scouts from all over the Football League come and watch you and you, you, you get... Even as Charlton scout at the time said to me, Dad, we've made a mistake there and boxing. But, but I'll come off there thinking, yeah, finally, I'm going to get a break. Um, got two weeks later, a week later, you get a letter through the post of what clubs are interested. There was a few clubs, Football League, League Two, League One. Nothing really that I really fancied. A lot of it was all, the majority of it was all moving away from home uh, for clubs that I didn't really f- see the benefit. Fulham didn't sign me after the back of that, which was obviously it was a bit of a shock, a bit of a disappointment, but it was one of those ones where you just have to get on with it. Um, so it's just one of the ones where it just moved on. Um, Hold on, I've just seen that. Sorry, one second. Uh, no I've just seen. I've just seen that David. 
that's why I, I might have muted him then. That's why I'm muting. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. No, he's sat in the other room. I've just put, moved him out, so no worries. Um, yeah, so it's one of the ones that disappointed. And then I had the option of going to my local non-league club at Well United at 15 years old. The guy there said, promised me that I'll play first in football at 15 and they'd do a college course. And I was the, the, one of the only lads in the college course that they was going to pay to, to do it. So I thought we'd be back home friends and family around me, playing first in football, try the other avenue. Yeah. But I signed for Welling at 15. So that's what I was going to bring up. In, so as you hit your 15s and going on to 18, 22, at what point did you think that the professional football route was over? Did you ever get to that stage of thinking, this isn't, this isn't going to work out? Because you, you spent quite oh. a lot of your early career in National League, non-league. Did there come a yeah, point? Yeah, Honest, yeah. When I was at Welling, at first it was going great. I was in the first team squad. They was in the conference, and then they got relegated. Uh, but I was in the first team squads. I was playing at home for the first team. Away from home, he'd never play me because I'm getting my size. Hmm. Um, and I started to get a bit frustrated with being in and out the side. Ended up under falling off the wagon a little bit when it comes to I started to go out with my friends. Started to get a bit disillusioned. Started to go and play for my mate's Sunday team on a Sunday. All those kind of things that, looking back now, I, I shouldn't have been doing. But it was just purely down to frustration and and not getting opportunities. Um, yeah. So then at the end, they they said that if I keep playing for my friend's Sunday team, then they're going to have to release me from my contract. And I, to be honest, I, I I didn't listen. I wasn't bothered because I wasn't playing every week. I was just getting a bit frustrated. So they released me. They um, got rid of me because I kept playing for my friend's Sunday team. Um, so then that was when I was thinking, oh my goodness, well, I'm 18, 19 years old now. Started to develop physically a bit strong. I still wasn't ready for men's football week in, week out, looking back. Um, we did, I wasn't pushed hard enough training. I look at these boys now, the B team, what they're getting pushed and how they're training. I wish that I had that. I really wish I had coaches that pushed me as much as what me and Neil pushed the boys. I wish I had coaching like 18, 19 years old because you, you don't know where you could have gone. You don't know what you could have learned. Um, never really felt like I had any proper coaching, to be honest. And I, my, some of my ex-coaches might listen to this and feel a bit disappointed. But it wasn't. It was just down to the fact that we, we, I, just, I don't feel like I ever went through tactical, technical sessions, really. Uh, going up, it was all about the result and it wasn't really a lot of football played it was about getting it forward second balls back into the box set pieces and so forth yeah you learn different aspects in that part of it but as a player and learning how to play me in my specific role um what suited my game is what we look now we look at these beating boys and we look at how can we get the best out of these players whereas back then it was this is my shape you fit into this or you don't play kind mm -hmm. of thing so, yeah, looking back, I see a little bit disappointed with how it went up well in. I ended up going down to Ashford Town. Um, what sort of level were they at the time when you dropped oh, in? It was Dr. Martin's Eastern. So it was like, it was, I don't know what level it was. It was really, really far down the pecking order. Again, playing this, just wanted to play regularly. I was doing that. Uh, and just going to the gym in the days, it was 18, 19, it was getting to the stage there where I was thinking, well, I've got to start either in a full-time job or kicking on. 
I was playing there, but it wasn't great. I wasn't doing great. The team wasn't great. It was okay, but it it was it was one of the ones where I started to think that it, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, we played pre-season friendlies against the Cholans and stuff, and I'd always do well. I think I'm not that far off, but it's just someone just taking a chance. Nothing, nothing really happened. Mm-hmm. Second season at Ashford, again, playing but not really taking it too seriously. I started to feel that my dream was going and it wasn't going to happen. Again, started going out, uh, going out on Fridays, going out on Saturdays. And we lost one game on a Saturday and one of the players told the manager that I'd been out on a Friday. I wasn't drinking, but I just went out. I was yeah. out, I drove pulled me on the Tuesday and said, right, um, I'm putting you on the bench today. And I, I was like, well, I was like, one of the players told me he was out Saturday. I was like, on Friday night, I, was, I wasn't out, but I was out, but I wasn't drinking. Just, just about it. Anyway, so we had a bit of a night falling out. I ended up thinking, well, it was an hour and a half to get down to Ashford Town in Kent to sit on a bench on a cold February night, this is not for me. So I, I, I just said, Look, let's, let's just let's call it a day. So I ended up quitting football for a while. I ended up just say not not playing at all. If I go back prior to signing for Ashford Town, I was working nights on the underground because I had to get some money when I left Welling United. So I carried on working nights on the underground whilst playing for Ashford Town. So I said to the guy, the Ashford Town manager, I'm not coming down here for, uh, on a Tuesday night to then go straight to work on back in London on the underground to sit on the bench. So that's why I, I, I ended up leaving my, uh, my role at Ashford Town. So I quit, just worked full-time nights on the underground for a couple of months. And then I got a phone call out of the blue from an ex-teammate at Ashford who had left as well and said that Colchester's manager lived down his road. Not Colchester, sorry. Um, Carl Shorten's manager lived down his road and they were desperate for players. They had no budget, but it was league one, it was one league or two leagues above uh, breaking news. There was one or two leagues above uh, what Ashford were, but they were desperate for players. Would I be interested in going going down there? So I thought, Joe, well, why not? Just go. I was in the Conference South. So I thought, yeah, go and play for Carl Shortland. Went down there. These positions for me, moved me out to right midfield because that's, they didn't have a player in that position. So I ended up playing right midfield and then started to do really well out there. I always played yeah. centrally as a lad. Physicality was probably an issue for me playing centrally, but I always was decent on the ball and I had a good delivery so playing outright probably suited me whilst I was a little bit younger and couldn't physically compete week in week out so I went to Rikers Field ended up staying at the end of the season doing okay and then the next year I had a full year there and I I, I scored 12, 14, 15 I don't know 15 goals or maybe something in that that season and that's when Dagenham and Redbridge come in for me and that's when they offered me a full time playing contract uh, whilst I was in the conference this was about was about 22 now. So yeah. it was one of the ones where they offered me a full-time plan role, but it was on about 30% of the money that I was on with my underground and my plan for Carl Short combined. So I had to take a 70% pay cut to go and play and follow my dream to be a professional football, full-time professional footballer. Absolutely. Obviously, yeah. I was, I was speaking cliches and stuff, but was this kind of like last chance saloon for you, you think, in 22? Yeah, and I was 22. I was thinking this. This is not. I regret it if I don't. And listen, I was lucky enough that I had a, a mum and dad that was like, "Listen, we 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 won't. We're not going to charge you any home rent." I still lived at home at the time. I had no kids. 
if I had a mortgage and the, and the kids, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Simple as that. I wouldn't have been able to afford to. But it was at that time where I was like, well, I've got nothing now. If I don't do it now, I'll probably look back and, and regret it. Um, so I took the 70% pay cut to basically follow, <laughs> it is a cliche, to follow your dream. Yeah. Uh, decision I ever made. And obviously that can obviously come from the support of my mum and dad. And it's lucky that I had that. Um, first year was really a bit of a disaster, to be honest, because I've used to part-time football going into full-time football. I just picked up injury after injury where my body just couldn't cope with the demands of training every day. Uh, I didn't really start getting a run of games till January, February time. And then I finished it. I ended up playing every week and playing that season. Um, I think we finished mid-table in a conference the next season was where it really came when we I played every game and we won we won the conference and got promoted to the football league. So that was a really big that was a really big step. And that as a 24 years old got promoted into into the football league, and that's when I finally got my football league debut at 24 years old. How do you feel about all of that? Obviously, that was the first time in Dagenham's history they'd been there as well, and I can imagine the sense of pride and just that you finally kind of made it, if you like, and got up to the level you'd always wanted to do. It was one of the ones, especially. The team at Dagenham and the style of football that we played, it was probably the closest thing to the crazy game that you could probably have in, in football football teams, you know. We was a was a gang. We was a gang of absolute characters and clowns and just it was all in it. There was no one pulling in any opposite directions. We was all in it together. Still got a group chat now with all the lads and this is going on fifteen years ago, you know, so it, it shows that the team spirit, we was all, we all had nothing. We all paid peanuts, but we all had one thing in mind and one common goal, and that was to get promoted. There, there was teams in Oxford, Oxford was in that league at the time, and their budget was through the roof. They had players on thousands of pounds back then, and we, we, won, the, we won the league with six games to go just for pure character and the attitude that we had and the, the team spirit. Because uh, player for player, they were better than us, without a doubt, but we was just together. We had a way of playing. It wasn't pretty for everyone, but it, it suited us and what we had. And we all stuck to it. And under John Steele, we, we absolutely breezed the league. Um, so, yeah, that was the real massive for me, finally, to get an opportunity to play in a football league. Um, yeah. It was massive. Um, and at 19, 20, I'd have, I'd have snapped your hands off to play one football league game. So, to get the opportunity... Uh, it was was uh, for me that is my best medal that I've got is that uh, conference winning medal because it actually enabled me to follow the dreams of playing football league. Yeah, well, the good times kept rolling for you when you go in your second season with Dagenham in League Two and narrowly missed out on the playoff positions at the point. Did you get to a stage though with Dagenham where you thought you had gone as far as you could with them and you you wanted to take the next step in that season after, or was it well, a case yeah. of just stars aligned almost and? Well, it was where I got promoted. I signed a two-year deal with uh, with Dagenham. Um, two years, and I thought, right, we'll see how this goes because I'm not getting any younger. And it was, I was t 24 when I made it in the first year. And the first year we struggled. We only stayed up second to last game. I think we all needed to, to adapt a little bit into football league. The way that we played in the conference, we couldn't play as direct because we there was other teams that were, were better at dealing with it than us. Picked up a, an injury during that season, so I was a bit in and out. So we got into my final year of my contract, where I was 20, 24, 25 now. Um, I, I just before the season started, I was like, Sam, right, you've you've done what everything John Steele's asked of you. Every time you got it, you've went outside and crossed. 
one second balls, you've hooked it on, you've done this, this and that. I thought, I mean, it was one of those times it was like a sliding doors moment where I go, right, it's up to you now. Destiny's in your hands. I'm going to take it a little bit and I'm going to play with a little bit of freedom. I'm going to play with how I know I can play and do things that I, I know I can do. So I started coming inside. I started drifting inside, coming across the pitch, um, coming in, shooting with my left, one-twos off the strikers, where it wasn't really seen to do at Dagenham. But I took it into my hands and I, I knew full well if I was doing it and it weren't coming off, I was going to get a rollicking or worse, I was going to get subbed off or, or left out of the team. Mm-hmm. I thought with this last season, if I don't do it now, I'm always just going to be a middle of the road lead two player just, that does that earns four or five hundred quid a week that's never going to get me anywhere. So I just, I just thought, Joe, yeah, well, it is worth a gamble now. You, you've, you've established yourself in this team enough to, to, to earn the right. And luckily, I started off and fired that season. I think I scored two in the first game of the season. I think I scored five in the first six games. Which enabled me then to have that freedom. The gaffer, I knew he couldn't leave me. I couldn't leave me out. And the fact that I was roaming and doing things slightly differently, but was paying off. The gaffer then had the trust in me to to do it, which then was a real, real uh, catalyst for the, the for the season. We signed Matty Ritchie on one wing. It was Matty Ritchie who was obviously at Newcastle now on one wing. He was on loan from Portsmouth. You had myself on the other wing that was both changing flanks, coming inside now, shooting, crossing. Different different types of play, switch play and stuff, and it, it was something that really really worked. I think I got 14 goals that season, and Matty got 12, um, and that was the season that I was um, out of contract. And obviously, now because I was over for 24 years old, I was unable to go on a free transfer. Yeah. Um, for me, during that season, John threatened to sell me in January because obviously I wasn't signing a new contract. Uh, but because we was in the playoff spots, I think he just wanted to keep me for the for the remainder of the season. He threatened, obviously, as managers do, to not play you. Uh, to not play you if I don't sign a deal. Um, which is what a lot of managers do when players are out of contract. But I stood to my... I was the same guy that was at the beginning of the season. I'm going to do it my way. I've got this narrow mind to, to try and get to where I need to get to. It. Listen, if you want to if you want to not play me, I called his bluff. He said, if you don't want to not play me, don't play me. But I feel that it would be a detriment to the side. Um, and I feel like, and I said to him, I feel like I've probably done enough anyway by Christmas to get something in the end of the season and a free transfer if you don't play me, because I think everyone will know why you're not playing me. Mm-hmm. So I called his bluff a little bit, uh, and obviously he realised that he didn't, he didn't end up leaving me out. Um, I made me a contract offer, but the contract offer was just, it, it wasn't even an offer that would make you even think about it. I said, John, like, you've got, if you want me to stay, which I'm happy to think about staying, but you need to make me a contract offer made you think about it and to be honest and it's not John's fault it's not the club the club just didn't have the, didn't have the funds and the resources to do that which in a way was good because I had such a bond with the club at the time and an affiliation with the club if they would have made me a decent offer I probably would have stayed and that probably wouldn't have been for the best of my long-term football career because it was one of the ones where it would have been easier and convenient and obviously I enjoyed it there and was playing good football but in a way, it was lucky that they didn't have the funds for me because I probably would have ended up staying. So at the end of the season, like I say, free transfer, 14 goals, missing out in the playoffs in the last game of the season. Uh, and a few offers uh, from League One, Orient, Wickham. I met with Orient, Wickham and Brentford. Uh, all offered me three-year deals. And obviously, I was speaking with Brentford numerous times. I, decided, I thought that would be the best option for myself. 
and that's and that's where I went and signed for Brentford. Absolutely, you can say the rest is history. So was gonna, you obviously joined with two other teammates at the time in that season, all on free transfers. Did that kind of help the settling in period at Brentford, like coming into a club where you've got two former teammates with you? Well, obviously I signed first, and at the time, obviously Strebs and Fozzie were out uh, out of contract as well. And this is the reason why one of the reasons why I did sign for for Brentford because Andy Scott showed me a dossier of eighteen games that I'd played and this and that, and now they see me playing here, and now they see me playing there, and asked me whether what fullback they wanted me to sign because it would suit my game. So I said, well, Fozzie done well for me at Brentford, uh, at so he knows my game. They ended up signing Fozzie and obviously I spoke to him about Streps and said I could have a player was so they brought him in as well. Yeah, it's nice to know faces, but I already knew Sammy Wood and Charlie McDonald when I was signing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um so it was it was it was handy to have players that you knew, but it was it was it was welcoming the bunch and I played against them a couple of times that season, so they knew me and I knew them and it was it was it was fine to settle in. Yeah, it would be please correct me if I'm wrong, it was quite a slow start to your Brentford career. Obviously the nine ten season you you played infrequently and then that 10-11 season you've mentioned before about the difficulties you faced would you mind talking about that and was there a point where yeah. you think you're potentially leave, moving on from the beast and yeah well yeah definitely I see uh, it does matter of 18 games that Andy Scott showed me um, I felt that this guy was really going to play to my strengths and help me but he said he thought about me playing in the hole maybe off the left coming inside all this kind of stuff that I I wanted to do I didn't want to just be a right winger anymore because I felt that, that for me to play higher I need to be coming inside linking up play um, I never, I've never been quick so I didn't want to be going outside on wingers and trying to get out full backs that are quicker than me it was, it was, it was going to be tough so I, I needed to, to change my game to play higher I felt and he mentioned that which, which for me was great I signed for Brentford in the first six games. He played me right mid, right midfield in the four four two. So it was completely different to what he sold me. Uh, I didn't. I, I played okay. I didn't feel I was, I was playing too poorly. We, we started off quite well. We lost to Charlton away. And then, uh, to be honest, I got completely binned off that season. I, I counted there was ten players that played right midfield that season. Um, with loans and players playing out of position, playing in right midfield in front of me. So. It was. I felt, to be honest, and I, I know Andy spoke about this now, and 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 to fair play to him, he's 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 held his hands up and said that if he had the chance again, he probably would have done it differently. He would have looked to have played me differently and so forth, which is which is nice, and and I appreciate it. Saying it's just a shame that it didn't happen then because I was on a real quest of a waiver at 24, 25, playing in in League One, playing to my potential. I felt I could have probably kicked on again, um, but. Obviously, it wasn't meant to be. Um, and then, obviously, it started, to, it started to change, really, when I really started to play well and consistently was when it, 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 Nicky Forster took over and he, he took over to the end of the season. And I played, I think I pretty much played every game. Um, played me more centrally and I started to show performances that I felt like I could have done earlier on. Yeah. How was that transition from, obviously, having your teammate go into the coaching role? Was it business as usual as a player or just different? Well, he, well, me and him used to share the car school. So he is in my car school. Uh, he, um, so that had to stop immediately. So we had to stop driving in together and so forth and stuff like that. Uh, but no, it was quite like, I think the good thing, of uh, players like to play and obviously I was playing, which is obviously helps. And But it was just felt that it, it, it wasn't so, 
direct, play through the thirds a little bit more. Uh, obviously, Mark Walton come in and was helping Nicky Forster at the time. Uh, and Wolves was doing, obviously, good stuff for us and helping us. And we played some good good football and got some good results. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we lost the final, at, uh, the JPT final against Carlisle. Uh, um, I, I had fond memories of uh, Fozzie being, being the gaffer. Um, obviously, he only got it to the end of the season and then moved on. But no, I... So when you play, players always enjoy playing, and obviously I was enjoying it because I was playing. I was going to say it's around this point, obviously Benham came into the club, and then obviously the season after you mentioned Rosler came in and stepped in. Was it? Did you feel there was a change around the corner of Brentford, and it was building slowly towards something, or was it just? A yeah. Game? I, yeah. I, I think that when when Rosler come in, that's when Brentford started to change as a football club. To be honest. Uh, even the discipline, um, the professionalism, uh, the intensity of training, all those kind of aspects went up a level. Uh, he was an intense guy, really intense guy, but I liked him. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he, he set it moving really for Brentford to start changing to what they are now. And uh, so we, we was unlucky not to get promoted under him in the final but to be honest if you probably look back now obviously I, I look back at that and I, I think that that our final game against Yeovil if we worried a bit more about us instead of them I think we would have we would have gone up I think that it was his attention to detail sometimes was a he was so had so much attention to detail regarding the other team we, if we would have played if we would have played them 10 times I think we would have won nine times if we would have just gone out and played them uh, because I felt that we had better players um, and a better squad. Uh, we were obviously was, spent the whole week talking about them and what they're going to do. Maybe we didn't we didn't look to what actually we we're going to do. Um, and obviously going two 0 down early on was was a tough tough man to climb, and we got it back to two one, but just didn't quite have enough. Yeah, it's one of them. That do you think it would have been a bit premature though if you had gone up that season, um, that that second season in the or promotion season in the end eventually gave the club the foundations to build from oh yeah you always look at it and you go well, could it have been too early potentially yes um, for me it probably would have been because I was out of contract that season and the fact that we didn't go up I ended up nicking another two years contract so <laughs> in the long, the long run it probably worked out well for myself selfishly but uh, it was yeah potentially you look at that and uh, and to go up automatically shows that we were stronger um, the change of manager during the season, brought us together again, and then Wolves come over, and he was a he was a he was a complete opposite to Rosa. Where it come to, he would only worry about us and what we could do, which was quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. But because we had Rosa, we still had the early on in the season, we still had the foundations of being set up very very rigid and defensively. So we still had our defensive qualities, but then we had a bit more freedom in the in the final third with Wolves. So it was actually quite a nice mixture. In that first season, definitely. And was it about this sort of time the analytics side? As the other analyst myself, it's did the analysis side come with Warburton, or is it already at the club? And like, how how through your, your career has it changed and like moved through? It started to get mentioned more and more, um, particularly during the Warburton style of it. But obviously, Matthew Benham was there from from when I was there, so 
it's just started coming more and more. Obviously, the <clears throat> the stories and of why Wolverton left and so forth, there's different rumours and bits and bobs, which I don't really know the truth myself, to be honest. But you started to hear about it more and more, and then people started to think, talk about Moneyball and all that stuff, which is not really true. Um, there, there's 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 analytics into signings and there's analytics into patterns of play and how you play and expected goals and stuff, but it's all a strategy. I think that's why Brentford are so strong at the moment because they have a strategy, they have a clear pathway, they have a clear plan. They don't they don't in that plan if was because results can change for numerous reasons, whether it's a refereeing decision, an injury, or just 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 a silly mistake or whatnot. If as long as you keep doing the right things over and over again. And the performances are there, the results will be there eventually. So that's why Brentford don't just sack their managers if they go for a run of results that are not great. That's why Brentford don't rip up the game plan after three or four games if the, if they don't win. Because they know that what they do percentage-wise works. And um, you have to be brave to do that. You have to be brave. Um, to stick to your guns and, and sometimes even if it's not going right to, to, to believe what you believe in uh, and to and to keep carrying it, carrying that job forward and that's something that I admire about what we do at Brentford and I know a lot of other clubs do because we have got the nerve to, to keep going when other people wouldn't. Absolutely. Well, as a player, do you does a coach sell it to you though? If a coach comes to you and says, oh, your analytics or your stats aren't looking good or the video here, how as a player do you you like buy into that sort of philosophy is it from the club down or is it from the manager themselves uh, it's, listen I don't lie let's get it straight yeah we we use analytics we use all the video stuff the GPS is we use everything but the eye doesn't lie if it was just a case of and the and the analytics, analytics and the analysis and all that kind of stuff then we'd be out of a job it's still a people-based game. You still got to play on people's emotions. You still got to treat people as human beings. So yeah, there's a place for it in the game, but it will never override the game and override the, the fact that you need human relationships to get the best out of players. So we use it to our advantage. But we don't just rely on it. Absolutely. I was going to just bring you back to your earlier point about the club and willing to stick by the guns. Obviously, Dyke Cowles in the era got off to a bit of a poor start before the club did eventually make the change. As a player, can you sense when something's coming with a coach not necessarily the right fit for the club? There's obviously all the stories and the rumours of that came out afterwards behind Dijkhausen's time. But as a player, I'd love to hear your perspective on that change of guard. Yeah, it's just obviously you come in with a pedigree and he come to English football and it was just one of the ones where we knew how competitive championship training was um, and games were and we just as as a group we just felt like we wasn't we wasn't fit enough he wasn't getting pushed enough particularly under like let's say Warburton and Rosary era we we didn't feel like we we was doing pre-season tour and we was asking to run you know and I just felt that it was just that was a bit of a worry for us because players shouldn't be asking managers to run in pre-season you know, I'm not saying it's just mindless running, but you can do it with footballs or you can do it however you want to do it. Everyone's got their own methods. But yeah, the results weren't great. We wasn't fit. We didn't really have a clear passage of play. We didn't really have structure. Um, 
and the results weren't great. And then, they, and then obviously you look at the results, and then you start speaking to people, and the club obviously, let's say, never really pushed a button without giving the manager a real opportunity. But to be honest, I, I obviously I don't ever like to see anyone get the sack, but I just don't think it was a right fit for the club and where we wanted to go. And consequently, he moved on pretty soon. Definitely, this kind of coincides towards obviously the back end of your career where you went out to Wickham and Colchester respectively, especially towards the back end. Obviously, the Wembley heartache will be much documented with Wickham. Again, as a player, that was the third or fourth time, was it? Wembley? And third, yeah. Does, does that sort of stuff as a player, you look back on, obviously, we've heard it from a few players and spoke about Wembley's the dream. Is it a bit disappointed you never got it over the line at some points at Wembley? Yeah, I've seen. I played there three times and never won, which is, <clears throat> which is not not ideal. Um, <clears throat> it's one and ones, particularly the Wickham one, was a real, real gutter because went there on loan to gain fitness uh, because I just had a knee injury, so I went on to Wickham on loan just to get fit and play to the end of the season. Started to play some really good football. Felt like I'd got over my injury, and then to get that ten seconds into a game, I just I felt like. <laughs> What I'd done in the past life, you know, I felt like it was it was real a real gutter, and I I questioned whether I wanted to continue playing just because, not just physically but just mentally, you know, it's 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 a tough job to keep getting yourself up, keep getting yourself fit, keep going through pain barriers, keep pushing your body and not right, your family members and people closest around you through it as well. Um, so there was a question mark whether I wanted to continue playing because it, it, it didn't feel fair. I remember getting into the changing room after the game and balling my eyes out because it was just like why, why again? Um, which was which was frustrating. So I've ended up going on loan, trying to kickstart my career again, get over the injury, and then end up coming back to Brentford injured again. So frustrating, very frustrating, and ended up being out for six months with that. It was almost a calf rupture. It was a 12, 12 centimetre tear in my calf that was nearly, it was a grade two, it was nearly a grade three. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was something that took a, a long time to, to get over. Um, and then something, to, to be honest, I, I pretty much carried for the remainder of my career. Was it this sort of the time that you started to transition post-football, looking into the business adventures that you later looked at, coaching badges? <clears throat> yeah, when I say, I did, started doing my coaching, but when I got injured during my knee, my knee was my first time when I started going, right, this is a serious injury. I was out for 10 months. You've done, you've dealt with life before football. Right? How are you going to deal with life after football? So it really gave me an insight into the value of a pound note for one. Um, value of what people do for work to earn a living. You, you don't appreciate that sometimes when you're in that football bubble. Uh, I would work with I work with lads that worked at nights and then got home and had an hour or two hours sleeping and done a day with the job as well. I work with those kind of people, so you look at that and you go, "Wow, that's that is the real world," you know. Um, that's what thousands and thousands of people do day in day out. So I never took it for what I did for granted ever. That's probably where I did get the, the strength of character to keep going again through the times of injuries, through the times of being really cast aside under Andy Scott when I wasn't playing and, and wasn't valued. I still look back at that and damn well, this is a lot better than what I was doing. Just keep digging in, keep working hard, good things will come. So that's where I probably got that mindset and and still to this day. Um, but yeah, it's 
it's it's it's one of the ones where you've you've just got to just keep going, you know, and and keep moving forward because you know that it's a short career and a long one, and that's why I was looking at the coaching badges. I was looking at different business ventures and bits and bobs, and I got into a bit of property, got into a few different bits, I got into a barber shop, got into a bit of clothing company and bits and bobs like that, just because I was always I was always wanting to be, and I was in the mindset, and the quote that always stuck with me, and I always speak to the lads about it as well, just be finished with football before football's finished with you, because it has got a horrible, well, it's got a horrible part of football where, when football's finished with you, it don't matter who you are, what you are, what you've done, you're done. You know, and it's one of them ones where it don't matter if you've won the Premier League or you've not won a single game. If you're injured or your time's up or no one wants to sign you, your phone stops ringing. Stop doing interviews. You stop doing this. You stop doing that because you're, you're yesterday's news and they're looking for the next one. So football owes you nothing. So just remember that when you, when you come to the end of your career because, uh, it, yeah, it, it can bring you a great life. But then when it's finished with you, it's finished with you. So make sure you're on the front foot and you know what you're going to do after football because it's a long time retired and there's a long time after kicking a football around with your mates every day. So it's brilliant. Have a lovely advice. And so I think as we could go to close it up and stuff, I'm just going to chat about the B team a little bit. I'd love to get your feeling. You've mentioned it there about how you took ownership of your own game at Dagenham towards the end, about cutting in to get the goals to essentially get yourself a move. You spoke about obviously being an August baby, which then physically put you behind most people, especially those that were a year older from the September, October days. How do you manage that as a coach now? Obviously, you've experienced that as a player. What sort of things would you use to manage it? Well, it's, it's obviously because I've just recently retired. Um, I can still, for one, help do demos as well, demonstrations of what you ask for, which I think you always get a good response from the lads. Um, I've never asked the lads to do anything that I was never prepared to do I think that's important um, we push them we push them hard I'm not going to lie we work them really hard um, but you would never get any of these youngsters true potential and I wish I got pushed to this until they reach their optimum fitness levels um, so we work we work them hard in fitness if they get an opportunity with the first team what they might lack in experience and what they might like, lack technically or tactically we're not so much tactically, but more technically. They will never lack in physicality or fitness levels because that's anyone can run, anyone can run around, anyone can get fit. So we make sure that we make sure they're that for starters. And then once you're fit, you make better decisions consistently. Uh, and then yeah, we, we look to we look at different managers of the game. We try and we try and we've, we've all got their individual development plans, which we do a couple of sessions a week where it's just with them or similar players in their positions to work on aspects of their game that we feel that they can improve on. Um, and then we obviously give them the, the, the tactical blocks of 4-3-3, 3-4-3s, high press, mid press, low block, different aspects of games. And we, we've got a bigger bigger array of fixes that we play. We play academies, but then we play conference teams. So they're, 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 getting, they're getting exposed to different elements of football as well because these lads potentially, when they go on loan, they're probably going to go to loan to League 2 or National League. So they've got to get used to that style of football as well. Definitely. So if a player, for instance, was doing what you did back in the day of cutting in and ignoring your instructions and keep cutting in to get the goal-scoring opportunities, how, how as a coach do you deal with that sort of situation? Well, if, he's, if he's going against what we've asked for, 
it's working, then I'll let them go and carry on. Mm-hmm. Of course, you've got to give freedom. We give players structure, give them advice, we give them our principles of how we play. But also, we understand that football is not black and white and it's not played in a tactics board. Things change. So if they see something and they feel that they can do it, go for it. Just just make sure that if it doesn't work, your reactions are good, you get back in the shape, you try and wind the ball back immediately, you're on the front foot on a high press. Um, I'd, never tr- I'd never have a go at lads for trying something. I'd only ever go at lads if they didn't react well, if it didn't work. That's my issue. That's all, that's all we have at our club is, listen, try stuff if you want to try it. If it doesn't work, make sure you're at well and go and get the ball back. Um, hopefully now that the, ta- the tactics that we're giving the lads now are probably a little bit better than just go outside and cross and win free kicks and win corners because obviously that's what I was getting given so that's why I felt to myself maybe I should try something differently but these lads now are getting uh, I know it probably sounds biased but they're getting good coaching they're getting good patterns of play they're getting opportunities to showcase their skills they're getting um, obviously balls received in the half turn they're getting uh, if you're a winger, you're getting it one-on-one to run at your full-backs. If you're, if you're a nine, you're getting it either into feet for a bit of link play or you're getting balls in behind where you can some deep runs. The eights are getting rotations. They're getting, they're, 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 they're getting balls in the pockets or sometimes like the deep runs that we mentioned. They're getting lots of elements to showcase their skills. So it's a bit different to the football that I played when I actually had to do it to actually try and, let's say, make a living. These boys are getting lots of tools at their disposal and... And to be fair, they're grasping it and they're working their hard, so hard every single day in training and the match days, and they've been a credit to themselves. Do you feel the B team system then is potentially more preparing them for that eventual step into first team football if they make it than the academy system? Hundred percent. I say, I'm not saying it will it'll work for everyone. Bigger clubs maybe need the academy where you've got three or four teams, um, but for us. In our catchment area, the B team works for us. Um, pictures that we play, superb. Like I say, we're, we're exposing these boys to all different elements of football. Um, and very rarely are you going to go from our B team into your first team and then play championship football and happy ever after. I think that's only happened once with Chris Meppham. So, majority of times you're going to have to go out and loan. And when you go out and loan, you've got to go and impress. So, if you give them an array of fixtures that give them the best foundations for that, and then the better. So, for instance, we had a lad coming from a bigger club this season, centre half, nick the ball in the front for, for fun, can play through the lines, very good football player, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. Um, but, but struggle physically in the air, and he's six foot three. So, we've had to work on a lot of heading, we've had to work on playing National League teams where they do hit the ball long, where you have to win first contacts, where you have to win challenges in the box, and he's come on leaps and bounds. So, if he didn't have those fixtures, he would never have had been exposed to that kind of football. And then he would have went on loan and probably struggled. So, mm-hmm. now we, we feel he's, he's more adapt to go out on loan and impress and come back and, and, and show everyone how good he is. So, that's just the one example of playing a different array of football and playing not just tippy-tappy under-23s football, which sometimes it can be. Do you lay the liaise with a lot of players when they're out on loan? So, if for instance, would you keep them up with their development plan or do you just let them play and in, to the discussion of the club they're at? Sorry, say that again? Uh, do you keep in contact with the players while they're out on loan and will you keep them on path with their development plan or is it a case of let them be with the club they're at? No, of course. We still have contact. We, we obviously we're mindful of how many minutes they're playing. Obviously, 
what formation they're playing in, how they're performing, the results, because they're our player. And we've got, obviously, keen interest in what they do. Uh, obviously, we, we don't find out the manager and say, pick him. He's got to go and earn a right. But, yeah, of course, he's our player. We're interested in what he goes on. We speak to him and the advice we can give them. Um, we're obviously doing that. Uh, and it, it's, it's definitely not out of sight, out of mind. We've still got a very, very beady eye over them and what they're doing and uh, hopefully, obviously, impress him. And so to close up this last little bit before we go into the quick fire questions we got, do you think being a player makes you a better coach? It gives you more empathy with the players. Mm -hmm. I you 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 know how they feel. Uh, you've done it. You understand the emotion of being injured. You understand the emotion of being left out. You understand the emotion of doing the shape session and being in the team that's not starting and how that affects your training. So for me, if we're doing 11 v 11 shape session and we're working on the boys that are starting, if the team that have won the ball get it, I don't just play the whistle. I let them have the ball. I let them play a little bit because otherwise it's just so disheartening. Um, things like that, that probably you don't, as a coach, you probably just look at the team and how's that structure. But on the bigger scale of things, you've got to think about the human beings. Like I said about the analytics and what we do at Brentford, there is, yeah, there is a bit of analytics used and we do use that and that data because we've got a big, vast array of data and why wouldn't you? But also we understand that people are human beings. Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's a big thing with analysis. Some people miss yeah. that. It's a tool to assist. It's, yeah, it's exactly. not a all and end No, exactly that. And that's why for me, being a player, yeah, of course, it helps as well. It, it helps get the buy-in from me. If you can do a demo and show the boys what to do, instantly you've got the buy-in, you know. I've, walk, I've walked into the B team as a coach, never coached before 18 months ago, but I played and I'd done what they'd done. I, I wore the Brentford shirt for 200 appearances, so they understand that I, I have got, I know what it feels like to, to go on their journey, so I just get an instant buy-in. Um, it, it's not everything. Obviously, I've still got to be tactically aware. Um, and I understand coaches that haven't played do it a little bit of a longer route. I get that. Uh, and I understand that. And don't let us say not every coach has to play at the highest level. I think you definitely have to have played at some level just to have the empathy of how it feels to actually play football. Definitely, definitely right. Just to close it out, then we'll go for a few quick fire questions we've got. Who's the best teammate you've played under as in a friends wise and also technically that you've played with or against? I'd rather always say who I've played with rather than I've seen because we've played against Chelsea's and Spurs and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But uh, technically on the ball, it would have to be Pritchard, Alex Pritchard. But then it changed when I played with um, Abira Eze at Wickham. <clears throat> this lads, he's just, he could take the ball. He could beat a defender and take the ball without even touching the ball, if that makes sense. He would just let it go, shift from one side of his body to the other, drop a, drop a shoulder, drop a hip. I don't know what he did, but he would just leave people for dead. Um, so I'd say Eze, for me, technically, one of the most gifted players that I've played with. Alex Pritchard being a very good second. Um, and a best mate that I played with, 
it's, it's probably too many to mention. Don't want to get you. <clears throat> but yeah, no. But I see, I with Jonathan Douglas for a while. And obviously, we still get on. I see, you got Scotty Barron, Harley Dean, Liam Richwell, those kind of boys that I still speak with and and get on really well. And we played with each other for a number of years. Uh, but yeah, I, I wouldn't single out any anyone really because I say there's a lot of them guys that uh, are still still really good friends. Uh, but yeah, that, that question would get me in trouble. That. Well, what's your favourite goal you ever scored in your career? Uh, my favourite goal I ever scored in my career. Um, I know a lot of people mention the the free kick that I fell over. That was some. That's probably the one that's most talked about. <laughs> Um, so that would be up there in my top three. I'd say I scored an overhead kick, uh, Dagenham against Southend. That was a special one, left foot and overhead kick. And then I enjoyed the Wickham goal that I scored just uh, just inside the half against Barnet. And I nutmegged the guy and, and, and shot from about 45 yards, which I enjoyed as well. And I'd say those three, just because of the different array of goals as well. Was the free kick fall over planned or just slipped? Listen, I was having a stinker that game. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be messing about falling over the floor. It was just simple. <clears throat> if, you, if you're thinking about taking a free kick and as you go to set off on your free kick, being a right footer, you lift your right foot up and you go to plant your right foot down to then start the, the run up. As I've done that, my inside of my right boot stud got caught in my left boot. So then when I've left went to lift my left boot up, obviously I stub was weighing it down, so that's why I just fell over onto my knees. I've never done it before and I've never done it since. I just don't know how I've done it. I've never done it in training, I've never done it ever before in my life, and I don't know why that happened. <laughs> but I'm just so grateful that I managed to pick myself up and compose myself and, and put it away afterwards, otherwise I probably would have got subbed. Yeah. Was there a sweeter feeling as a fan? Because you were getting pelters from the Swindon fans at the time behind the goal. So then go and score like in that fashion. There must be no better feeling as a player. I enjoyed it when the opposition fans got on to me anyway. It was a little bit of a, a pantomime villain kind of side of it, which I really enjoyed. And hopefully they enjoyed as well, because obviously for me, it was never ever personal. It was just a bit of banner and a bit of fun. And I see a lot of those guys come on a Saturday to give other players stick, which I obviously I took it always with a pinch of salt. It was always it was probably what I was used to it probably because sometimes the young fans would get onto me as well. But no, it was it was good. It was like I say it was just a bit of fun and they was giving me a lot of stick and it was a nice way just to give them a little celebration in front of the the fans as well and pretend <laughs> to fall over it. But no, it was all like I say all in good jest and it's just for me it's it's part of football that's really missed at the moment with the fans not being in the grounds. Yeah, it's one of them is you you can definitely see the intensity especially is drops in certain games where you just make a few few thousand fans here and there and just bring that atmosphere back and just bring a bit of life into some games especially this season in the championship there's been some that have been di not difficult watches but just lacking the intensity so so we've got a few more just to finish off we'll go what's your you feel that's been your best game performance wise in your career I'll, 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 I haven't got a clue, to be honest. I really haven't got a clue. It's one of the ones where it's silly. You play well and then it's the next one. 
it's as simple as that. You're on to the next one, you're on to the next one. Some of the games that I've played the best and I've lost. So for me, they, they don't they don't class as playing well, really, if you lose, uh, as silly as it sounds. Um, so I, I wouldn't really be able to pick out a, a game. There's never been a game where you've played the perfect game. There's always things that you can improve. And there's always times you've gave the ball away or made wrong decisions or let runners go. So, yeah, I don't think there's such thing as, as a perfect game or a, your best game. Um, there's been your best results where you've won games and stuff, but sometimes that comes in an array of ways if you've won games when you haven't deserved to or if you've won games by completely outplaying teams. But, yeah, I think it's so difficult to say your best game because I don't think I had one. What's your strangest fan experience you've had? Um... There's, there's, there's some weird ones where you just I've been on the in Vegas and I'm sat on the table and a, a Brentford fan's been on the table asking me if I'm Sam Saunders and stuff like that just crazy things where you just think of weather like I say there's so many different football fans and Brentford fans and so forth all over the world um, that was quite a surreal one probably because I was still hung over from the night before but <laughs> it was a, yeah probably something like that where you just really wouldn't expect to see a Brentford fan or get recognised and you do and I can't go out the entire podcast without asking about the infamous song. What's your thoughts on it and how do we feel about it? Yeah, it's a song, let's be honest. It's a good bit of fun and when the pubs are open and you've ever been in the pubs or whatever or after when you got promoted and you went to Nelson and they was all singing and stuff, it is, it's a good bit of banter. My partner has a bit of a laugh and my little three-year-old sings, sings a a child-friendly version of it um, because obviously she, she understands it now. So she sings a song, but she obviously changes it to um, I want to be your wife rather than that other <laughs> line. So, um, which is cute from her and that. But no, it's uh, it's all in good fun. And like I say, that's what the majority of football is about it is the fans and it's the relationship with the players and the fans and, and how it, and in these times more than ever, you, you realise the importance of of football and how it brings the community together and how it gives the community, particularly on a three o'clock on a Saturday, something to do and something to look forward to for your working week. And it's just another one of those that brings the fans and the players closer together. So I'm all, I'm all for things like that. And I think it's a great song and it's, it's just the laughter and the, and the smiles it brings on people's faces. It's fantastic. Honestly, I can't thank you enough. That's been a brilliant podcast, just shy of an hour now. So I'll let you go about the rest of your day, but, Thank you so much for joining us this week on the pod and great to have you on. Thank you for all those that are listening, subscribed and follow. Uh, we'll be back to usual next week, probably with another topic or something, but all the likes, subscribes and follows do massive things to the accounts. So we much do appreciate it. Thank you and we're on to the next one.